0: Enchanted Ground, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon delivered on February 3rd, 1856 at the New Park Street Chapel. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For Thessalonians 5 verse 6. It's a spiritual guide of the flock of God along the intricate mazes of experience. It is the duty of the gospel minister to point out every turning of the road to heaven, to speak concerning its dangers or its privileges, and to warn any whom he may suspect to be in a position peculiarly perilous. Now there is a portion of the road which leads from the city of destruction to the celestial city which has in it perhaps more dangers than any other portion of the way. It does not abound with the lions. There are no dragons in it. It has no dark woods and no deep pitfalls yet. More seeming pilgrims have been destroyed in that portion of the road than anywhere else. And not even down a castle with all of its host of bones can show so many who have been slain there. It is a part of the road called the Enchanted Ground. The great geographer John Bunyan well pictured it when he said, I then saw in my dream that they went on until they came into a certain country whose air naturally tended to make one drowsy, if he came a stranger into it. And here Hopeful began to be very dull and heavy of sleep. Therefore he said to Christian, I do now begin to grow so drowsy that I can scarcely hold up my eyes. Let us lie down here and take one nap. By no means, Christian said, Less sleeping we never wake more. Hopeful said, Why, my brother? Sleep as we to the laboring man. We may be refreshed if we take a nap. Christian said, Do you not remember that one of the shepherds bid us beware of the enchanted ground? He meant by that that we should beware of sleeping. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. There is no doubt many of us, beloved, who are passing over this plain, and I fear that this is a condition of the majority of churches in the present day. They are lying down on the settles of lukewarmness in the arbors of the enchanted ground. There is not that activity and zeal we could wish to see among them. They are not perhaps notably heterodox. They may not be invaded by the lion of persecution, but they are somewhat worse than that. Dare lie down to slumber like heedless and too bold in the arbour of sloth. May God grant that his servant may be the means of arousing the church from its lethargy and stirring it up from its slumbers, lest haply professors should sleep the sleep of death. This morning I intend to show you what is meant by the state of sleep into which Christians sometimes fall. Secondly, I shall use some considerations, if possible, to wake up such as are slumbering. Thirdly, I shall mark sundry times when the Christian is most liable to fall asleep, and shall conclude by giving you some advice as to the mode in which you should conduct yourselves when you are passing over the enchanted ground, and feel drowsiness weighing down your eyelids. First, what is that state of sleep? into which the Christian man may fall. It is not death. He was dead once, but he is now alive in Christ Jesus, and therefore shall never die. But though a living man shall not die, being quickened by an immortal life, yet that living man may sleep, and that sleep is so nearly akin to death that we have known slumbering Christians mistaken for dead, carnal sinners. Come, beloved, let me picture to you the state of the Christian while he is in a condition of sleep. First, sleep is a state of insensibility, and such is that state which to often is upon even the best children of God. When a man is asleep, he is insensible. The world goes on, and you knows nothing about it. The watchman calls Venice's window, and he sleeps on still. A fire is in a neighboring street. His neighbor's house is burned to ashes, but he is asleep and doesn't know it. People are sick in the house, but he is not awakened. They may die, and he doesn't weep for them. A revolution may be raging in the streets of a city. A king may be losing his crown, but he that is asleep shares not in the turmoil of politics. A volcano may burst somewhere near him, and he may be in imminent peril, but he escapes not, he is sound asleep, he is insensible. The winds are howling, the thunders are rolling across the sky, and the lightnings flash at his window, but he that can sleep on cares not for these, and is insensible to them all. The sweetest music is passing through the street, but he sleeps, and only in his dreams does he hear the sweetness. The most terrific wailings may assail his ears, but sleep has sealed them with the wax of slumber, and he hears not. Let the world break and sunder, and the elements go to ruin, only keep him asleep, and he will not perceive it. Christian, behold your condition. Have you not sometimes been brought into a condition of insensibility? You wished that you could feel, but all you felt was pain because you could not feel. You wished you could pray. It was not that you felt prayerless, but it was because you did not feel at all. You sighed once. You would give a world if you could sigh now. You used to groan once. A groan now would be worth a golden star if you could buy it. As for songs you sing them, but then your heart does not go with them. You go to the house of God, but when the multitude that keep the holy day and the full tide of song send their music up to heaven, you hear it, but your heart does not leap at the sound. Prayer goes solemnly like the evening sacrifice up to God's throne. Once you could also pray, but now while your body is in the house of God, your heart is not there. You feel you have brought the carcass of your being, but the soul has gone away from it. It is a dead, lifeless corpse. You have become like a formalist. You feel that there is not that savor, that unction, in the preaching that there used to be. There is no difference in your minister. You know the changes in yourself. The hymns and the prayers are just the same, but you have fallen into a state of slumber. Once, if you thought of a man's being damned, you would weep your very soul out in tears, but now you could sit at the very brink of hell and hear its wellings unmoved. Once, the thought of restoring a sinner from the air of his ways would have made you start from your bed at midnight, and you would have rushed through the cold air to help to rescue a sinner from his sins. Now, talk to you about perishing multitudes, and you hear it as an old, old tale. Tell you a thousand swept by the muddy flood of sin onwards to the precipice of destruction, you express your regret. You give your contribution, but your heart does not go with it. You must confess that you were insensible, not entirely, but too much so. You want to be awake, but you groan because you feel yourselves to be in this state of slumber. Then again... He that sleeps is subject to various illusions. When we sleep, judgment goes from us, and imagination holds carnival within our brain. When we sleep, dreams arise and fashion in our head, strange things. Sometimes we are tossed on the stormy deep, and anon we revel in kings' palaces. We gather up gold and silver as if they were but the pebbles of the shore. And anon we are poor and naked shivering in the winter blast. What illusions deceive us? The beggar in his dreams becomes richer than Solomon, and the rich man is poor as Lazarus. The sick man is well, the healthy man is lost his limbs or is dead. Yes, dreams do make us descend to hell or even carry us to heaven. Christian, if you are one of the Sleepy Brotherhood, you are subject to diverse illusions. Strange thoughts come to you which you never had before. Sometimes you doubt if there be a God, or if you do exist yourself. You tremble lest the gospel should not be true and the old doctrine which once you did hold with a stern hand you are almost inclined to let go. Vile heresies assail you. You think that the Lord that bought you was not the Son of God. The devil tells you that you are none of the lords and you dream that you were cast away from the love of the covenant. You cry, I would, but cannot sing. I would, but cannot pray. You feel as if it were all in question whether you are one of the lords or not. Or perhaps your dreams are brighter and your dreams that you are somebody great and mighty, a special favorite of heaven. Pride puffs you up. You dream that you are rich and have need of nothing while you are naked, poor, and miserable. Is this your state, O Christian? If so, may God wake you up from it. Again, sleep is a state of inaction. No daily bread is earned by him that sleeps. The man who is stretched upon his couch neither writes books nor tills the ground nor plows, nor does anything else. His hands hang down. His pulse beats, and there is life, but he is positively dead as to activity. Oh, beloved, here is the state of many of you. How many Christians are inactive? Once it was their delight to instruct a young in the Sabbath school, but that is now given up. Once they attended the early prayer meeting, but not now. Once they would hew wood and draw buckets of water, but alas, they are asleep now. Am I talking of what may happen? Is it not too true? Almost universally. Are not the churches asleep? Where are the ministers that preach? We have men that read their manuscripts and talk essays. But is that preaching? We have men that can amuse an audience for 20 minutes. Is that preaching? Where are the men that preach their hearts out and say their souls in every sentence? Where are the men that make it not a profession but a vocation. The breath of their bodies. The marrow of their bones. The delight of their spirits. Where are the George Whitfields and John Wesleys now? Are they not gone? Gone. Gone. Where are the rolling hills now who preached every day and three times a day and were not afraid of preaching everywhere? The unsearchable riches of Christ brethren. The church slumbers. It is not merely that the pulpit is a sentry box with the sentinel fast asleep, but the people are affected. How are the prayer meetings? Almost universally neglected. Our own church stands out like an almost solitary green island in the midst of a dark, dark sea, one bright pearl in the depths of an ocean of discord and confusion. Look at neighboring churches. Step into the vestry and see a smaller band of people than you would like to think of. Assembled round a pastor whose heart is dull and heavy. Hear one brother after another pour out the dull, monotonous prayer that he has said by heart these 50 years. And then go away and say, Where is the spirit of prayer? Where is the life of devotion? Is it not almost extinct? are not our churches fallen from their high estate? God, wake them up and send them more earnest and praying men. But again, the man who is asleep is in a state of insecurity. The murderer smites him that sleeps. The midnight robber plunders his house that rests listlessly on his pillow. Jail smites the sleeping Sarah. Abner Takes away the spear from the bolster of a slumbering Saul. A sleeping Eutychus falls from the third loft and is taken up dead. A sleeping Samson is shorn of his locks and the Philistines are upon him. Sleeping men are even in danger. They cannot ward off the blow of the enemy or strike back at him. Christian, if you are sleeping, you are in danger. Your life I know it can never be taken away from you. Dead is hid with Christ and God. But, oh, you may lose your spear from your holster. You may lose much of your faith and your cruse of water in which you moisten your lips and may be stolen by the prowling thief. Oh, you little know your danger. Even now the black-winged angel takes his spear and standing at your head he says to Jesus or to David, Shall I smite him? I will smite him but once, David says. Our Jesus whispers, you shall not smite him. Take his spear and his crews, but you shall not kill him. But, oh, awake, you slumberer. Start up from the place where you now lie in your carnal security. This is not the sleep of Jacob, in which ladders unite heaven and earth, and angels tread their ascending rounds. But this is a sleep where ladders are raised from hell, and devils climb upward from the pit to molest your spirit. But secondly, this brings me to the second point, some considerations to awake up sleepy Christians. I remember once in my life having a sleepy congregation. They had been eating too much dinner. And he came to the chapel in the afternoon, very sleepy. So I tried an old expedient to rouse them. I shouted with all my might, Fire! 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 When starting from their seats, some of the congregation asked where it was. And I told them that it was in hell for such sleepy sinners as they were. So, beloved... I might cry, fire, fire, this morning to awaken sleepy Christians, but that would be a false cry because the fire of hell was never made for Christians at all. And they need never tremble at it. The honor of God is engaged to save the downcast sheep. And whether that sheep is asleep or awake, it is perfectly safe, so far as the final salvation is concerned. But there are better reasons why I should stir up a Christian and I shall use a very few of them. First, O Christian, awake from your slumber, because your Lord is coming. That is the grand reason used in the text. The apostle says you are the children of light and the children of the day. Yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. You, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. O oh, Christians, do you know that your Lord is coming? In such an hour as you think not, the man who once hung quivering on Calvary will descend in glory. The head that once was crowned with thorns will soon be crowned with the diadem of brilliant jewels. He will come in the clouds of heaven to his church. Would you wish to be sleeping when your Lord comes? Do you want to be like the foolish virgins, or like the wise ones, either who, while the bridegroom tarried, slumbered and slept? If her master were to appear this morning, are there not half of us in such a state that we should be afraid to see him? Why, you know, when a friend comes to your house, if he is some great man, what brushing and dusting there is. Every corner of the room has its cobwebs removed. Every carpet is turned up, and you make every effort to have the house clean for his coming. What? And will you have your house dusty and the spiders of neglect building the cobwebs of indolence in the corners of your house when your Lord may arrive tomorrow? And if we are to have an audience with the Queen, what dressing there is? How careful will men be that everything should be put on aright, that they should appear properly in court, dress? Do you not know, the servant of the Lord, that you are to appear before the King in his beauty and to see him soon on earth? What? Will you be asleep when he comes? When he knocks at the door, shall we have an answer for him? The man is asleep. He did not expect you. Oh, no, be like men who watch for their Lord, that it is coming he may find you ready. Ah, you carnal professors, you attend your plays and your balls. Would you like Christ to come and find you in the middle of your dance? Would you like to look you in the face in the movie theater? Ah, you carnal tradesmen, you can cheat. And then pray after it. Would you like Christ to find you cheating? you if our widows' houses and for a show make long prayers. You would not mind him coming in the middle of your long prayer. But he will come just at that poor widow's house is sticking in your throat. Just as you are swallowing the lands of the poor, oppressed one, and putting in your own pockets the wages of which you have defrauded the laborer, then he will come, and how terrible will he be to such as you. We have heard of the sailor who, when his ship was sinking, rushed to the cabin to steal a bag of gold, and no warned that he could not swim with it, tied it about his loins, leaped into the sea with it, and he sank to rise no more. And I'm afraid there are some rich men who know not how to use their money, who will sink into hell, strangled by their gold, hanging like millstones round their necks. O Christian, it shall not be so with you, but awake from your slumbers, for your Lord comes. But again, Christian, you are benevolent. You love men's souls. And I'll speak to you of that which will touch your heart. Will you sleep while souls are being lost? A brother here some time ago rushed into a house which was burning, and he saved a person from it. He then returned to his wife. And what did she say to him? Go back again, my husband, and see if he cannot save another. We will not rest until all are delivered. I think that is what the Christian man should say. If I have been a means of saving one soul, I will not rest until I have saved another. Oh, have you ever thought how many souls sink to hell every hour? Did the jury thought that the death knell of a soul is told by every tick of yonder clock ever strike you? Have you never thought that myriads of your fellow creatures are in hell now, and that myriads more are hastening there? And yet, do you sleep? What? Physician. Will you sleep when men are dying? Sailor. Will you sleep when the wreck is out at the sea and a lifeboat is waiting for hands to man it? Christian. Will you tarry while souls are being lost? I do not say that you can save them. God alone can do that. But you may be the instrument and would you lose the opportunity of winning another jewel for your crown in heaven? Would you sleep while work is being done? Sleepy Christian. Let me shout in your ears. You are sleeping while souls are being lost, sleeping while men are being damned, sleeping while hell is being peopled, sleeping while Christ is being dishonored, sleeping while the devil is grinning in your sleepy face, sleeping while demons are dancing round your slumbering carcass and telling it in hell that a Christian is asleep. You will never catch the devil asleep. Let not the devil catch you asleep. Watch and be sober, that you may be always up to do your duty. I've no time to use other considerations, so the subject is large enough. And I should have no difficulty in finding sticks enough to beat a sleeping dog with. Let us not sleep. As do others. But thirdly, now it may be asked, when is the Christian most liable to sleep? First, I answer, he is most liable to sleep when his temporal circumstances are all right. When your nest is well feathered, you're then most likely to sleep. There's little danger if you're sleeping when there's a bramble bush in the bed. When all is downy, then the most likely thing will be that you will say, so, so you yeah, have many goods laid up for many years. Take your rest, eat, drink, and be merry. Let me ask some of you, when you were more straitened in circumstances, when you had to rely upon providence each hour, and had troubles to take to the throne of grace, were you not more wakeful than you are now? Miller, who has his will turned by a constant dream, goes to sleep, but he that attends on the wind which sometimes blows hard and sometimes gently does not sleep, lest happily the full gush might rend the cells, or there should not be enough to make them go round. THOSE WHO LIVE BY THE DAY OFTEN SLEEP NOT BY DAY, BUT THEY SLEEP IN THE NIGHT, THE SLEEP OF THE BELOVED. EASY ROADS TEND TO MAKE US SLUMBER. FEW SLEEP IN A STORM. MANY SLEEP ON A CALM NIGHT. HE IS A BRAVE BOY INDEED, WHO CAN HAVE HIS EYES SLEEPY WHEN UPON THE HIGH AND GIDDY MAST AND BOSOM OF THE RUDE, IMPERIOUS SURGE. BUT HE IS NO WONDER WHO SLEEPS WHEN THERE IS NO DANGER. Why is the church asleep now? She would not sleep if Smithfield were filled with stakes. If Bartholomew's alarm were ringing in her ears, she would not sleep. If Sicilian vespers might be sung on tomorrow's eve, she would not sleep if massacres were as common now. But what is her condition? Every man sitting under his own vine and his own fig tree, none daring to make him afraid. Tread softly, she is fast asleep. Wake up, church, or else we will cut down the fig tree about your ears. Start up, for the figs are right. They hang into your sleepy mouth, and you are too lazy to bite them off. Now, another dangerous time is when all goes well in spiritual manners. You never read that Krishna went to sleep when lions were in the way. He never slept when he was going through the river death, or when he was in the castle of giant despair or when he was fighting with Apollyon. Poor creature. He almost wished he could sleep then. But when he got halfway up the hill, difficulty, and came to a pretty little arbor, and he went and sat down and began to read his roll. Oh, how he rested himself. How he unstrapped his sandals and rubbed his weary feet. Very soon his mouth was opened. His arms hanged down, and he was fast asleep. Again the enchanted ground was a very easy and smooth place, and liable to send a pilgrim to sleep. You remember John Bunyan's description of some of the arbors? Then he came to an arbor, warm, and promising much refreshing to the weary pilgrims, for it was a finely wrought above head, beautified with greens and furnished with benches and settles. It had also in it a soft couch where the weary might rest. The arbor was called a slothful's friend and was made on purpose to allure, if it might be, some of the pilgrims to take up their rest there when weary. Depend upon it. You can depend upon it. It is an easy place that men shut their eyes, and they wander into the dreamy land of forgetfulness. Old Ralph Erskine said a good thing when he remarked, I like a roaring devil better than a sleeping devil. There is no temptation half so bad as not being tempted. The distressed soul does not sleep. It is after we get into confidence and full assurance that we are in danger of slumbering. Take care. You who are full of gladness, there is no season in which we are so likely to fall asleep as that of high enjoyment. The disciples went to sleep after they had seen Christ transfigured on the mountain top. Take heed, joyous Christian, good frames are very dangerous. They often lull you into a sound sleep. Yet there is one more thing, and if ever I were afraid of anything, I should fear to speak before my grave and reverend fathers in the faith. The fact that one of the most likely places for us to sleep is when we get near our journey's end. It is ill for a child to say that, and I will therefore back it up by the words of that great pilot John Bunyan, for this enchanted ground is one of the last refuges that the enemy the pilgrims has. Wherefore it is, as you see, placed almost at the end of the way. And so it stands against us with the more advantage. For when, thinks the enemy, will these fools be so desirous to sit down, is when they are weary. And when so like to be weary is when almost at their journey's end. Therefore it is, I say, that the enchanted ground is pace so near to the land Pula and so near the end of their race. Therefore let pilgrims look to themselves, lest it happen to them, as it is done to thee that, as ye see are fallen asleep, and none can awaken them. May a child speak to those who are far before him in years and experience. But I am not a child when I preach. In the pulpit we stand as ambassadors of God, and God knows nothing of childhood or age. He takes whom he wills and speaks as he pleases. It is true, my brethren, that those who have been years in grace are most in danger of slumbering. Somehow we get into the routine of the thing. It is usual for us to go to the house of God. It is usual for us to belong to the church, and that of itself tends to make people sleepy. Go into some of your churches in London and you will hear a most savory sermon preached to a people all sound asleep. The reason is that the service is all alike. They know when they have got to the third, our Father which art in heaven, and when they have passed a general confession, and when they have got to the sermon which is the time to sleep, for twenty minutes. If the minister should smite his ecclesiastic fist upon the Bible, or enliven his faculties with a pinch of snuff, or even use his pocket handkerchief, the people would wake up, because it would be something out of the usual course. Or if he uttered an odd sentiment, they might be aroused, and would probably think that he had broken the fifty-ninth commandment and making some of the congregation smile. But he never violates decorum. He stands a very mirror of modesty, in the picture of everything that is orderly. I have digressed, but you will see what I mean. If we are always going on the same road, we are liable to sleep. If Mob gets at ease and is not emptied from vessel to vessel, he sleeps on, for he knows no change. And when years have worn our road with a rut of godliness, we are apt to throw the reins on our horse's neck and sleep soundly. Now lastly, let me give a little good advice to the sleeping Christian. But Christian, if you are asleep, you will not hear me. Will I speak gently then and let you sleep on? No, I will not. I will shout in your ears. Awake, you that sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ shall give you light. Go to the anxious slugger, consider her ways and be wise. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. Put on your glorious array, you church of the living God. What is the best plan to keep awake when you are going across the enchanted ground? This book tells us that one of the best plans is to keep Christian company and talk about the ways of the Lord. Christian and Hopeful said to themselves, Let us talk together, and then we shall not sleep again. Christian said, Brother, where shall we begin? And Hopeful said, We will begin where God began with us. There is no subject so likely to keep a man awake as talking of the place where God began to save him. When Christian men talk together, they won't sleep together. Hold Christian company and you will not be so likely to slumber. Christians who isolate themselves and stand alone are very liable to lie down and sleep on the settled or the soft couch and go to sleep. But if you talk much together, as they did in old time, you will find it extremely beneficial. The Christians talking together of the ways of the Lord will go much faster to heaven than one. And when a whole church unite in speaking of the Lord's loving kindness, Verily, beloved, there is no way like that of keeping themselves awake, Then let me remind you that if you will look at interesting things, you will not sleep, and how can you be kept awake in the enchanted ground better than by holding up your Saviour before your eyes? There are some things that is said which will not let men shut their eyes if they are held before them. Jesus Christ crucified on Calvary, is one of these. I never knew a Christian go to sleep at the foot of the cross, but he always said, Sweet a moment's rich in blessing, which before the cross I spend. And he said, too, Here I'd sit forever viewing mercy's streams, in streams of blood. But he never said, Here I would lie down and sleep, for he could not sleep with that shriek, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? in his ears. He cannot sleep with it is finished, going into his very soul. Keep near to the cross, Christian, and you will not sleep. Then I would advise you to let the wind blow on you. Let the breath of the Holy Spirit continually fan your temples, and you will not sleep. Seek to live daily under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Derive all your strength from him, and you will not slumber. Lastly, Labor to impress yourself with a deep sense of the value of the place to which you are going. If you remember that you are going to heaven, you will not sleep on the road. If you think that hell is behind you and the devil is pursuing you, I am sure you will not be inclined to sleep. Would the Manslayer sleep if the Avenger of Blood were behind him and the City of Refuge before him? Christian, will you sleep? While the pearly gates are opened, the songs of angels waiting for you to join them, the crown decorated with delight to be worn upon your brow? Ah, no. Dearly beloved, I have finished my sermon. There are some of you that I must dismiss because I find nothing in the text for you. It is said, Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. There are some here who do not sleep at all because they are positively dead, and if it takes a stronger voice than mine to awake the sleeper, how much more mighty must be that voice which wakes the dead? Yet, even to the dead I speak, for God can wake them, though I cannot. O oh, dead man, do you not know that your body and your soul are worthless carrion? that while you were dead you lie abhorred of God? that soon the vulture of remorse will come and devour your lifeless soul. And though you have lived in this world, these seventy years perhaps, without God and without Christ, in your last hour the vulture of remorse shall come and tear your spirit. And though you now laugh at the wild vulture that circles in the sky, he will descend upon you and your death will be a bed of shrieks, howlings and wailings and lamentations and yellings. Do you know more still that afterwards that dead soul will be cast into Tophet? As in the east they burn the bodies. So your body and your soul together shall be burned in hell. Go not away and dream that this is a fantasy. It is the truth. Do not say it is a fiction. Do not laugh at it as a mere picture. Hell. It is a positive flame. It is a fire that burns the body, albeit that it burns the soul too. There is physical fire for the body and there is spiritual fire for the soul. Go your way, O oh man. Such shall be your fate. Even now your funeral pile is building. Your years of sin have laid huge trees across each other. And see the angel is flying down from heaven with a brand already lit. You are lying dead upon the pile. He puts a brand to the base of it. Your present disease proves that the lower parts are kindling with the flame. Those pains of yours are the crackling of the fire. It shall reach you soon, old man. It shall reach you soon, you poor, diseased one. You are near death. And when it reaches you, you shall know the meaning of the fire that is unquenchable and the worm that does not die. Yet, while there is hope, I will tell you the gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that does not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, with a simple, naked faith comes and puts his trust in him shall be saved without anything else but he that believes not shall inevitably hear it men and tremble he that believes not shall assuredly be damned it is frequently objected that the preacher is censorious he is not desirous of defending himself from the change he is confident to many are conscious that his charges are true and if true christian love requires us to warn those who err Nor will candid men condemn the minister who is bold enough to point out the faults of the church and the age, even when all classes are moved to anger by his faithful rebukes and pour on his head the full vials of their wrath. If this be vile, we purpose to be viler still. Charles Spurgeon